Captain Walker Keel, personal log 41775.5. Just left Italics B in a meeting with Captain Scott, Ricks, and Picard. Ugh, Jean-Luc. I feel bad for how I had to treat him, but one can never be too careful. But now that Picard's been informed, I'm feeling optimistic for the first time in a long time. Yes, sir, everything's coming up, Walker. Now to see what all those klaxon sounds are about, I'm sure everything will be just fa- Welcome to Reengaged, the weekly podcast where we watch and discuss episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Our cultural bridge officers dissect each episode as well as the pop culture and world events that took place when it first aired. We're a bunch of Gen X adults returning to the series we loved as kids to see how it holds up. So, keep your mouth closed and let's re-engage. Welcome, everyone, once again to Re-Engage, the Star Trek The Next Generation podcast. My name is Kate Yeager. I am so thrilled to be here with all of you and joined with my fellow cultural bridge officers, starting with Mr. Greg Tito. Hello, Greg. Hi, Kate. I am very excited to open up my mouth and just let all of the bugs in, and uh, it's going to be really fun. You just you just open up, just open wide, get those neck sacks relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> my, ne- my neck sacks are always tense that's why I, I can never i can never do well as a conspiracy guy joining us also as always mr eric gratton eric how are you friend i think i can do it in fact i'm living my life kate it's gonna be difficult but i think we can get through this together i believe in you that's going to be, that's going to get old. So I'm going to start talking and just risk it. It's good to see everybody. I've been really, really missing you for the past week. Missing you too, buddy. Also been missed, missing Mr. Uh, Jimmy G. Hi, Jimmy G. Hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about Bolsa doors and well below Edna Tito level stop motion. It's so true. I was thinking about that, too. There's so many little hands moving. (laughs) Yeah, let's talk conspiracy. I'm excited to talk conspiracy. Uh, We're here at star date 41775.5, air date of May 9th, 1988. Uh, We had a Nielsen ratings. Things were not going particularly well. A 9.4 Nielsen rating, which is definitely there in the the lower quadrant of our... uh, Rating so far, and due to the nature of the content, a warning was aired before Conspiracy was screened in Canada, and the episode was initially banned by the BBC. What about the children? <laughs> I've seen worse on My Little Pony. <laughs> Absolutely. They let me watch Raggedy Ann and Andy and all that scary shit, but they're not going to let me watch stop motion scorpions. I mean, listen, <laughs> they let us watch Watership Down, The right? Secret of Nim, yeah. uh, Bambi Plague for fuck's sake. <laughs> when the wind blows, this is some hardcore shit. All they had to do was make it a cartoon and they'd have been like, oh, it's, it's probably fine. Well, so the story. Heavy metal. So I was going to save this story for later, but I will tell it now. Uh, They were concerned that this episode was too violent, obviously. Uh, And they showed 
the episode to uh, someone on staff's five-year-old son who immediately asked for a Remick action figure that the head would explode whenever you <laughs> pressed it. And, they, oh. and that's what knew, they knew that they were going to be fine. Because he, he had such a like positive reaction to it. I uh, think and, if that action figure would have come to reality, I would have appreciated the show more. <laughs> I'd have bought the shit out of that. Absolutely. Like the scanner's action figure I never got the chance to own. <laughs> uh, Wishing Well by Terrence Trent D'Arby stayed on the top no! of the charts. Nice. Uh, as did the movie Colors. So uh, multiple nice. weeks for those. Um, that week, Carrie the Musical opened at Virginia Theater in New York City for five performances. Do we know the history of Carrie the Musical, my friend? <laughs> this is the same Carrie the Musical that had a pretty big resurgence like 10 years ago? Yes, yes. But only had five episodes originally. Or five episodes, five, uh, five performances. I had no idea it was originally a flop. Oh, a Tell huge me some of this. flop. I wish <laughs> that I had, but I, I was actually relying on you, Eric. I was sure that you would I know. I don't remember. You don't know any songs, Kate? Oh, You can't well, sing us so- anything from Carrie the Musical? I do actually know, um, uh, don't Please. go, don't go, don't go, sings uh, Carrie's mom. Uh, that's all I remember. Uh, well, that's pretty good. Thank you. I got to see it. They did it here in Seattle. Um, I don't know, like 10 years ago. Was it Balagon? Balagon, yeah, did it. Uh, yeah, I remember uh, that. With, um, uh, oh, help me, Rhonda, um, Alice Ripley in the, the role oh, as, right. as the mother. Yeah, that was like right around the time I first moved to Seattle. And I, I didn't see it, but uh, people were talking about it at that point. Well, But remember, I, I didn't do musicals at all until just like five years ago. Yeah. Like it's brand new for me. I don't remember so, this at all. So it's notoriously hard to do horror on stage, just in general. Like there's not a lot of great... Um, horror genre and especially in the musical theater um but carrie op- it closed after 16 previews and five regular performances and wow. is widely considered to be one of the most notable failures in broadway theater history uh and it Oof. they have been trying ever since to uh to get it to come back including a 2012 off-Broadway revival, a 2015 off-West End production, and then a Los Angeles production in 2015. Um, and the plot has changed a lot. The They've tried to make it more modern with more modern-day teenager issues, um, take it out of the 70s. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a classic disaster. Is there still pig's blood? Yes, there's there is still, and I I knew the young woman who played Carrie here in Seattle, uh, fantastic Keaton Whitaker, um, who uh, was also um, on Broadway uh, along with Alice Ripley. So we had uh, it was it, it look the performance had cred, uh, and she would get just drenched by that by that blood every night. I hope it was just water with food coloring or something, right? No. I hope it was pig's blood. <laughs> I hope it was pig's blood. <laughs> Come on. A little artistic dedication. Uh, the story for our for our show, uh, the story was based off of a one-sentence uh, idea that Gene Roddenberry had. 
Uh, Robert <laughs> Saberoff uh, took that and did a 30-page treatment that was ultimately decided to be too expensive. So they passed the teleplay off to Tracy Torme, uh, who originally uh, had the idea for the conspiracy to be about a military coup. Uh, but Roddenberry opposed the idea that Starfleet could be anything other than the perfect government and refused to allow that, um, that even a, sex- a segment of Starfleet might... Snore. Um, <laughs> Snore. Exactly. Yeah. Come on. Gene Snorenberry. <laughs> uh, directed by Cliff Bowl, who directed uh, 25 episodes of Next Generation, including earlier in this season, Lonely Among Us and Hide and Q. Uh, unsurprisingly, this won the Emmy for Outstanding Achievement in Makeup for a Series. Um, lots of really good uh, alien makeup. And then, of course, that classic, classic uh, throat bulge, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the whoa, episode. Whoa. <laughs> mm, she doesn't love whoa. a good throat bulge. So did uh, they know when they were writing um, it that they were going to reuse stuff from uh, the the previous episode where Quinn and Remick... So appeared. a lot of that, uh, that, that was supposed to be the lead up to the conspiracy that there were people going rogue in Starfleet. Um, but the alien, uh, segment of that was tacked on. So it wasn't a consistent conspiracy all the way through. Got it. Yeah. Motherfuckers. Yeah. But as you mentioned, we did have the return of Ward Costello as Admiral Quinn and Robert Schenken as Remick. And last time these two were together, we talked in great detail about their careers. Um, but we have mm-hmm. a lot of fantastic, uh, again, a, a wealth of uh, guest stars for this particular episode. Uh, we'll start with the captains, uh, starting with Captain Walker Keel, played by Jonathan Farwell. Best known for The Young and the Restless, where he played George Rollins. Uh, (laughs) But interestingly, in 1963, he acted in Othello at the Arena Stage Theater in Washington, D.C. with Ray Reinhardt, who played Admiral Aaron, uh, playing Iago. So um, Admiral Aaron in this episode and uh, Jonathan Farwell played together back in 63. That's amazing. That's a, a whitewashed cool. Othello. Is that what I mean? No, 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 no. Uh, he, uh, Admiral Aaron played Iago in this, and uh, Jonathan Farwell was in the company. Okay. Um, Farwell was such a big theater guy. He oh, did, huge! Uh, a ton of Broadway stuff, uh, including the original cast of uh, what do you call it? Salieri, Mozart, Amadeus. Amadeus. Uh, mm. And then he was the first replacement uh, Salieri on the national tour. Oh, wow. Uh, and not long after that, he married his wife on stage after a matinee. Aww. Just a theater guy through and through. Through wow. and through. Uh, we also had Ursuline Bryant as Captain Scott. Uh, she played Darice on the Red Fox show and Dr. Wexler in uh, the Seinfeld episode, The Burning where Kramer goes uh, and is being a medical student and keeps getting um, tagged as the guy with gonorrhea. (laughs) (laughs) She also played this same character again uh, on an audio drama. Uh, As recently as a couple years ago. I'm not sure how they made that happen, but I love it. I want more. Is she the first um, black Mm -hmm. captain in canon too? Is this a first black female can- uh, 
captain we're introduced to in Star Trek? That is a great question. Uh, that did not come up in my research, uh, but I would not be surprised that it took. I don't recall us talking about it. Like we haven't been introduced to one on screen in TNG. There certainly wasn't one in uh, the original in TOS. Yeah. So that'd be interesting. It would be interesting. Uh, uh, her, so her character is, are these prequels then seeing as her character dies at the end of this episode? In the audio Sorry, drama? I'm looking up Paul Winfield's rank <laughs> from the second movie. Uh, go ahead. I'll let you know what I find. Okay. <laughs> I, know, uh, I want to find out about this audio drama thing. That's pretty cool. I know, right? Continuing with our captains, we have Michael Berryman as Captain Ricks. And oh my gosh, what a career this man has had. Best known mm, as absolutely. Pluto in Wes Craven's uh, The Hills Have Eyes from 1977. Uh, he was born with a condition that prevents the formation of hair, fingernails, teeth, and sweat glands, giving him a unique look that uh, is used a lot in the horror genre. Uh, and he works continuously. He has three movies in pre-production right now, two in post. He has never stopped working from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest to The Lords of Salem. Uh, this guy has just had an amazing career. Eric, do you have anything else to add? I know... He's oh, just I iconic. Mean, yeah, he's what I what I love about some of what he does is uh, especially in how he's used in this episode is so much of his career. He's playing things like the nuclear freak and shit like that. He seems very good hearted about it. But then they let him do something like uh, weird science or this where they make a very strong uh, point about how well he does stillness. Mm. and control and the kind of things that he doesn't get to play in the kind of genre monstrous roles that, that most of his stuff has been. He He's so interactive with the fans and things. Seems like such a cool actor. Uh, let's move on to the admirals. Uh, Ray Reinhardt as Admiral Aaron, uh, uh, lots of theater credentials here. He performed in the original production of Edward Albee's play Tiny Alice on Broadway. Oh, uh, he was uh, in Star Trek Voyager as Tolan Wren, most recognized uh, filmatically from The Hunt for Red October as Judge Moore. But once again, his theater career, uh, this, this episode is rich with, uh, with folks with theatrical cred. Uh, including our final admiral, uh, Henry Darrow, as Admiral Savar. Uh, Henry Darrow was born Enrique Tomas Delgado Jr. and was the first Hispanic actor to portray Zorro on television. He has a huge no career spanning decades. Seriously, you, you have to check him out. I went through such a rabbit hole with his career. Um, for movies and things, he was best known for The Hitcher, um, the Hitcher! Yes! Oh, he got yes. so murdered! He did get so murdered. <laughs> um, he was in the soap Santa Barbara, for which he won an Emmy, The Bold and the Beautiful, Star Trek Voyager, where he played Kolopak, or Kolopek. Uh, and not only did he play Zorro, but he later played Zorro's father in a reboot of the series. Uh, trained at the Pasadena Playhouse, and in 1972, he co-founded the Screen Actors Guild Ethnic Minority Committee. 
and a founder of Nisotros, an organization that gears Hispanic actors towards non-stereotyped parts. Uh, and he wow. just died on March 14th of this year. Yeah. So oh, an gems. amazing career uh, from a journeyman actor who uh, had the tiniest little role in this episode where he eats uh, little maggots. bugs. Maggots. Yeah. Maggots. They're... He, he was the, the Vulcan uh, Admiral. Is that who you're saying? Uh, I believe he uh, he is uh, Admiral Savar. Oh yeah, so he's yeah. He's, yeah. he's pretty prominent in the this Vulcan. from the from as soon as they get yes, to yes, yes. the Federation. I I loved I and mean, you know here's a great role that is not stereotypical at all. Like I didn't even think that he was uh, you know of Latin descent at all. Like I was just like oh it's it's just a Vulcan. Uh, so that's great. And it's, and hidden passing away is less than a month ago from when we're recording this. That's yeah. super sad. Well, let's get to this episode. Let's get to this episode, my friends. Uh, my computer is going to continue to open up iTunes, so be ready for me to continue to sing every once in a while as it comes up. <laughs> uh, so we are en route to Pacifica, where we're going to get a little R&R time, hopefully. We're going to get some time by the ocean. Everything's going to be great. We start with Jordy telling Data a joke. Let's talk about that joke and the and the and the aftermath of that joke. It's a it's a it's a positioning talk to me, talk joke. Talk to me about it. Right. It's it, that's the best part about it is that it's a, that this is why they had to be banned from the BBC is because they let off with a sex joke in zero G, uh, and they didn't want to you know get the kids thinking about that when they're watching Star Trek. <laughs> Not the first sex joke actually in this episode. Uh, we'll yep. get to it later, but it, it's the first of data. two really great, perfectly acted hysterical moments from Data from Brent yeah, Spiner. It's, two great it's, moments, and this is the first. It's one. A, it's a yeah it highlights his comedic skills uh, within the realm of the character yeah. so well this episode it's, it's my favorite part of yeah. what the episode does i agree jimmy and one of the best comedy gags and this one i pull on my girls all the time is the hysterical laughter and immediate stopping <laughs> of all yes. laughing uh, it gets them laughing. They love it. They request it. Uh, and he <laughs> absolutely nailed it. It yeah. was perfect and i didn't remember this so i didn't see it coming and it was a laugh out loud a joyful moment for me last night re-watching this episode uh, uh perfect i mean it 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 filled me with joy like i got the energy from laughing from seeing this absolutely perfectly executed uh moment of comedy so bravo brent Spiner. <laughs> it can be really difficult to keep the lower half of your face extraordinarily active and the upper half of your face deadpan as they say and like he did it like four or five times they cut to him and i would have perfectly been willing and and more than happy to watch them just keep going back to that well over and over <laughs> like the old story of christopher lloyd on the set of taxi like all i want is to see have him keep doing it until the crew isn't trying not to laugh anymore. Like let it keep going and keep going and keep going. That's all I want. I love that they give Riker and Troy a little, a little laugh, a little moment to also respond to that because it is genuinely funny. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. And it's just such a real response to like, Oh, data. Yeah. Right. Especially when he's like, wait, you can swim in moonlight. Oh, and I know. Oh God. Troy gets that. Oh. Our oh, lovable little android. 
And we find out that uh, Worf doesn't like swimming because it's too much like bathing. Right. I wish they would have cut that line. I loved how he just said, mm. Like, you're going to go swimming? <laughs> just, that, that was enough. Yeah, it's all you need. They didn't need to throw it too much like bathing. Oh, come on. Now they don't bathe the Klingons? <laughs> Stop it. Yeah. Uh, then we get a code 47, which oh, I is. Hate those. Uh, I know. <laughs> Fucking code 47, which is on the Starfleet emergency frequency for captain's eyes only. So they have to wake up Picard, uh, who has shiny sheets on the inside, by the way. He opens those sheets and they are shiny on the inside. And it made me very happy. Uh, And we see uh, we see uh, an old friend of Picard's, uh, someone named uh, that he says is named Walker, uh, Walker Keel, an old friend who needs to talk face to face uh, and says, please come to Ditalix B immediately. Don't trust anyone. We get some other open shirt moments with uh, with Captain Picard. Yeah. Which I'm all about, as we all know. Yeah, you You gotta have it. You went down the rabbit hole of uh, actors, but I went down the rabbit hole this week of trying to figure out, like, wait, how old was was Patrick Stewart when this aired? Am I am I older than him now than he was then? <laughs> Luckily, I think he was forty seven when they uh, they started filming this. So that doesn't I, make me feel better. <laughs> I wanted to make sure and, and share that with you, my, my my older cultural bridge officers. Thank you. Thank, no, I'm I'm not so near much. his age, thank but you. I I mean I'm near his age, you know. But like he's still older than me, but it doesn't make me feel better because look at him. You've got more hair than he has. I'll give it up. <laughs> <laughs> give me the rest of it. It's a very attractive, man. Yeah, but Picard is put out. He is not happy with his friend. He is like, this Mm-mm. is highly irregular. Coming in you get on the, the feeling he is he is very upset that he has wasted Starfleet resources. He's upset. He's about to turn into Joe Biden. Like, come on, man. <laughs> no malarkey. <laughs> yeah. Well, he he has no choice but to divert the ship. Uh, so away they go. They're not even going to let them know that they're running late, which I thought was rude. Um, you could at least let Pacifica know that you're running a little bit late. But off they go to Ditalix B. Everyone else on the ship is like, what? Because uh, he's holding everything very close to the vest. Uh, and when we get there, there are already Federation ships on site. Which I'm sad we don't get to see what uh, these other classes of ship look like right. they, you know, it was the first time I really got the sense that there's not just, you know, the Enterprise looking with the, you know, with the big disc and the nacelles. Like, I want to be like, what is it? What does the rest of the fleet look like? Because they talked yeah. about it. Was it one was a cruiser, a one was a freighter, a frigate? Yeah, and I was like, what do those look like? But we didn't too expensive have the budget for that. <laughs> well, um, they weren't right in front of them, so there was no way to put them on the the uh, <laughs> viewer on the view screen. Or they directly behind like them. Just... They were inverted. <laughs> <laughs> the the one non-important thing that came to my mind when they said they were going to whatever it was. Ditalix B. Pacifica. Ditalix B. There's really a shortage of imagination and planet naming. Because there's so many planets that are seven or six or Bs. Is the planet so great that you needed to have A, B, and C? 
Well, especially, it's not like these are the planets that you identified by binoculars and telescopes. These are the planets that you had mining operations on. Like some yeah. fucking low-level politician would have claimed naming rights. And yeah. all of these places where people actually live would have names. Yeah, in Pacifica. Oh, yeah. It was like, it's an ocean planet. Let's then call it have Pacifica. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> then we'd have like Planet T-Mobile and Planet <laughs> yeah, like They absolutely would. <laughs> they absolutely would. T-Mobile Planet. Yeah, what you don't know is that Ditalics B is uh, for congestion. <laughs> it sounds like a right. Pfizer drug. Yeah, it really does. see, that, that makes sense, Kate. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. She's explained it, Jimmy. <laughs> well, Picard goes down alone because that feels like a good idea. Uh, and He's mad about that, too. He's like, he alone, 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 Riker. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> uh, and he goes down to a very uh, red lit planet right. and takes an incredibly long time to go down a ramp. Yeah, like a and the, really long time. The the other uniforms. I, I get, this might not be important at all either. But the other the 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 lady and his friend. I thought they were had yellow gold the gold uniforms like half the scene until the very end when they stepped out because of what you're saying. It was shot with mm. so much red filter. Yeah, yeah. That that's how you know that things are are afoot. Mm. <laughs> So it's not quite right. Right. No, you're right. I should have yeah. known. You should have known. Should have known. Uh, I and, hate when things are afoot. And instead <laughs> of being greeted as an old friend, he is greeted with phasers and asked very personal questions a lot about uh, who introduced Jack Crusher and Beverly Crusher right? and their uh, their romance. I like that because it was a way... I mean, we, we know that there, that relationship exists from previous episodes, but like not just quite how intimate these group of friends were. Uh, and so it was a nice way to get out that information and got a little bit yeah. more about the Crusher Picard dynamic. But still, yeah, it was uh, all about that test of trying to be like believable you know, exposition, right? Like it was logical. Didn't feel like you were stopping to tell me the backstory it, it right like music playing yeah, in the yeah. elevator well it and fit. it's the rhythm of it is so good uh i didn't introduce them my brother you don't have a brother you have a sister uh, that just that back and forth was just really rhythmically pleasing yeah, uh, so they brought in the theater actors yes uh they knew all about their beat work uh and then we uh captain riggs and captain scott are there Murtaugh. uh riggs and Murtaugh, yes uh <laughs> And we find out. Uh, uh, Sorry. We find out that there's a strange pattern of behavior from Starfleet. Lots of strange deaths, weird orders, and it seems to go all the way to the top. Impossible. It's impossible. It could never happen. Well, Jean Luc is very skeptical and wants more information. Uh, one of the weaknesses they talk about is a lack of memory. Uh, Walker uh, very heavily implies that it is spread to his own ship, giving us a little bit of a preview of what's to come. Mm -hmm. When this happens, I'm going to die quickly, and it's going to be my best friends that kill me. Because I'm not going to remember shit. Everybody's going to be all, like, <laughs> very very stressed out and I'm going to forget everything I ever knew and somebody's going to come up to me and I'm not going to recognize them and they're going to immediately kill me. Fair. Uh, 
I thought the same thing, Eric, in terms of when he says, how did we first meet? I I can't tell you when I first met most of my friends. Like, there's right. uh, there's no... I do remember when I first met Eric, but it's because you said something really nice to me at a bar, and it made me Let's happy. Let's be best friends. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, we, he came up and was like, we're going to be friends. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I remember yeah, when I first awesome. met all of you. Oh, actually, were we at restaurant row, Jimmy. No, we were at that hot dog place I brought up before. The place that oh, had one dollar hot dogs. Rudy's. Yeah, Rudy's. Yeah. And Eric and was, was at, at your birthday party on uh, West Seattle. Yeah, I met I met Jimmy at Eric's fortieth birthday party. I and, think I met uh, you, Kate, there Kate then too. Although I didn't remember that. Uh, I think you were there too. I was there. Holy yeah. shit! Definitely. So we all we all met each other, you know, uh, pretty much at the same time. There you go. All right. Well, let's remember this for when bugs go in our brains and uh, we have to kind of know who's who. I think we met at the Cohen Brothers New York offices, Greg. That's very possible. <laughs> yeah, for a reading, and then yeah. and then we went on working together. Yeah. <laughs> well, now we know All that right. none of us have to um, shoot the other people uh, because they're. Uh, robots uh or uh infected by parasites because we all remember how we met which is beautiful uh thank god well i i had already had my parasite when i met you guys so (laughs) (laughs) and it never goes away really that's why you're so strong uh he gets back to the ship and troy is just not having this scenario like there are red flags everywhere for troy uh she feels like it's deceitful. Uh, she doesn't quite feel like everything is on the up and up. She wants to bring other people into the conversation. And he's very adamant that this is what's going to happen. We're proceeding forward. Um, and the one person he does tell uh, besides Troy is he sort of uh, connects in data. And I, I bet, Jimmy, this is your second perfect moment of data. Uh, or at least it's one of mine, because he tells Data no, he has a job that is suited for him and his talents. And there's just this beautiful long take, like slightly too long, of Data processing that his unique talents are being used. Oh and no, that's, just the briefest of smiles. That's it's the second just, that's sex joke. That's, that's the that's second sex joke. Because I a think third one, but it's not my second one. <laughs> that's that is really good. <laughs> So he starts to look at, uh, uh, he's supposed to look at all of the orders coming out of Starfleet. Picard lies to Crusher about seeing Walker, uh, which I found interesting. Uh, And then they Without even like a talk to me later kind of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Uh, And then there is a, a disturbance that they have to check out in Sector 63. Which, of course, uh, small objects everywhere, debris from a spaceship. And, of course, oh, no, oh, shit, oh, no, it's the Horatio, uh, which was where we last left Walker. And it's still odd to me that they don't have a way to prove what that debris field is. They just kind of like, it can only be the Horatio. It's like by mass. And where are the, there's no bodies. Yeah. They, they specifically talk about bodies. I guess in so. the explosion. Well, don't they all? They have drive signatures. Like, isn't that how they can track stuff? That's the expanse. The drive that's only in the expanse. That's oh, not that's here in Star Trek. Expanse. Sorry, yeah. drive Come signature. <laughs> the tropes are starting to blend together. But before we go too much further, I want to back up in that 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 Troy scene. 
because I also would have been suspicious as soon as he said that we were inseparable, the three of us. Because that just, while I was watching, I was like, John Luke was inseparable with somebody? It doesn't jive with my vision of who this guy was. Like, you know, the, the, the diehard, I'm going to be a captain. Like, that is what I'm doing in life and nothing else matters to me. And like, as soon as he got the captaincy for the, the Enterprise, I feel like this is like, okay, now I can uh, find my zero. I can calm down. I, I've got what I want and I can really you know lean into this. But when he said they were inseparable, I was like, I just can't imagine this guy ever being like, these are my buddies. We hang out. We go to the bar. We play poker. Like, it didn't, uh, it wasn't who I thought. So I would have been super suspicious when he said that I would have been grilling him too. <laughs> I wonder if it was like, like those are the three top officers of the old ship. Right. And so like, that's what he means. Like he's, it was, it was the Riker and data of the Stargazer. Oh, that's was, how you took it. I totally that's how I took it. Took it. Like he was saying we were inseparable and we were, you know, hanging. That's how I took it too. Yeah, me too. But I, I don't necessarily think that when you're at your most ambitious, you're not, socializing a lot uh especially when it's something like something political like the military like if if you're holding ambitions you're i think going to be where the people are yeah Um, yeah yeah yeah. so i i I think it's not unlike acting that way you know when i was in my 20s and and very drunk i was i was also at my most ambitious so like it was a fascinating thing uh, Picard starts to think, hey, you know, maybe something is wrong. Spoiler alert. My friend just told me something is wrong and now his ship is all blowed up. Uh, so that might be a problem. Uh, so the, he um, brings- the whole the whole thing of not leaving logs, though, is completely lost because the writers were like, how are we going to get Picard's inner monologue out? I guess we have to have these personal logs. Personal I'm like, logs. that's <laughs> still accessible by Starfleet, isn't it? But I not guess. until he submits them. Or later, like they're not, they probably are not looking at them every day. I don't know, man. They're bug people. I think he was probably using one of those uh, personal diaries that the girls have <laughs> that have the little whisper mic where you have to like put the little password in. Oh, and no, then he was bullet journaling. I should tell yeah. Ella, she'll watch the episode then. He was bullet journaling about how uh, his friend exploded. And he probably had a theme about like explosions <laughs> and pieces. So, like different pieces of paper to represent that. It's very, uh, representational bullet journal it, it jives oh, with your inseparable comment <laughs> <laughs> yeah i the whole thing about um the journal that makes me laugh is the fact that when you get more and more digital you get more and more paranoid about putting anything digitally anywhere not less like i i think it once he said don't do it I, I think it became such bullshit the moment he started speaking into any recording device. For, like Jimmy said, like it's, yeah. it, they still have access to it a thousand percent. That was, a, it's to me, it, it's great you bring that up, Eric, because when I was watching it last night, I was like, it's, it's so great to see where they were technologically in 1988. Because like when they turned yeah. that little computer screen around, back then that was cool because. That was the very, very beginning of desktop computers, like right. rudimentary, like that's the Lisa from Apple. And, you know, like, so when they turn around, it's like, you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that, that looks even cooler than what we have. And they're little, and now it all seems quaint. And like you said, we had no idea about social networks and 
digital in our lives living on stuff like this on on phones are that small so like yeah it, they had a 1988 view on sharing like talking into a mic then was recording onto a cassette tape right. and that was right. pretty like you could burn that right it wasn't you know you could make a mistake when you were 16 and it wasn't saved forever on the internet <laughs> um and that's the world they were writing that stuff in and it's it is pretty cool to see like oh that's cute that you think it's that way it's not right. <laughs> it's not at all well, and, you know, so many sci-fi and uh, genre fiction work really hard to make sure their stories take place in a world where it's still not that way. They they try and make some analog touches to make storytelling more easy. Uh, so the Internet changes uh, in sci-fi uh, situations a lot. It, it, it's fun to kind of see how writers have to address that. Now. Yeah. And we and we put our own like you know, of course digitally they'd be able to find it, but like the writers who were writing that back in nineteen eighty eight had no conception of that at all, right. and Just so we're putting our own. To me this time. Yeah. Burn the tape from the Betamax. I mean, it's <laughs> that simple. It's pretty easy. Well, data. Uh, uh, speaking of data, data uh, <laughs> is looking at the uh, patterns of the. Uh, different things that have been coming out of Starfleet and starts to talk to himself for the very first time uh, in a delightful scene where the computer, you know, wants to know what it is that he wants because he's <laughs> talking to himself and then realizes that he's talking to himself and then explains that he's talking to himself to, up to the point where the computer finally says, I get it. Right. Which wow. was my second favorite I've moment. And then he does a take. <laughs> yeah, he's like... <laughs> He takes it in like, hold on. I just got shut down by another AI who's supposed to be dumber yeah. than me, but just totally schooled me. Yeah, and yeah we, we learned that last week. <laughs> it's a callback, too, to Riker doing the exact same thing to him when he tried to over-explain the hunk of rock, right? He's like, it's a pile mm -hmm. of trash. It's blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, we've seen it a few times throughout this uh, this season. And so I wonder if he's like, well, if I'm talking to myself, that's a human quality. This computer just cut me off like all the humans do around here. Is the computer getting uh, more <laughs> sentient? No, I don't know. <laughs> totally. Is that Majel Barrett uh, uh, coming to life in front of my eyes? This is the thing I love most about Data is that if you lean into the fact that Brent Spiner is a really good actor, like you can find in-world realizations and rationalizations for all of the comedic stuff that he does as Data trying out things he's seen other people do. And that's part of his programming. Like the, the more layers you want to put on it, they're there if you want them. It's great. Uh, and in that scene too, there's also a bird of the bird of the universe again, which they had really early on in the the season where it's a digital representation of Gene Roddenberry's head on a bird because they called him the bird of the the universe and it was uh, bird of the galaxy and it's in when he starts scanning at the very beginning it's one of the images. Aww. Oh, that's funny. Nice. Do you think that when Data says I don't have enough data? that it registers as weird the way it might when one of us uses our own name in a sentence otherwise. Like, Jimmy, do you ever say, I just jimmied that door open? <laughs> or do. does it not bother you because it's spelled differently? Like, when someone yeah. said, if someone were to say, I don't have enough Eric, like, it depends on how they're saying it spelled. 
Like, are they saying, oh, right. I don't have enough Eric E-R-I-C, when, then I know they're not talking about me. But if they say, I don't have enough Eric E-R-I-K, I assume they're talking about chips or some shit like that, which was a great show. But <laughs> Data's just saying, like, I don't have enough data. And wouldn't that, for a second, fuck with his servos? Okay, talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Eric. We got that. <laughs> yes. Well done. In the meantime, uh, <laughs> all the bridge crew are finally in on what what is happening. I love that Data says the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing, uh, because I love I love when um, big corporations and big organizations uh, have uh, disease within them, and no one knows what's actually happening uh, one side to the other. It's a nice corrupting force. It's all too true, unfortunately. <laughs> too, too true. <laughs> so back to Earth we go. The admirals come on screen. They're like, hey, guys, so glad you're here. But like, what's up? Uh, we see Remick again, um, who comes in and whispers something. The screen goes goes dark uh, while they talk amongst themselves. Uh, we have a great moment where Worf, you know, says, I don't trust them. You shouldn't trust anyone. And then the camera comes back on. <laughs> Um, reminiscent of all of our experiences with Zoom over the last year. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was muted. (laughs) Uh, But they say, hey, awesome, come down. Uh, Picard, Riker, come down for dinner. Admiral Quinn can't make it for dinner, but he wants to see them alone. And Picard says, at least we know he's on our side. Which wrong. was not yes. Which the very next scene we see Admiral Quinn opening a box with a small creature in it uh, that looks uh, sort of like a I don't know a, a, a like a creature from um, piece of plastic. Yes, yes, <laughs> a piece of plastic. I think it looks like the the biggest sculpture that um, Delia's stepmom made that- in. Beetlejuice. That's what I was just down. trying to say. I was just trying to That's say Beetlejuice. It? Oh it's my god! Absolutely, yeah. it absolutely has. Even with a stop motion, sort of, it's got that uh, a little bit of that. Um, yes. Oh my god! Help me with the director Deets. of um, Tim yes, Burton. Tim Burton. A very Tim Burton feel to that creature. That is absolutely it. It didn't even. I didn't see it at all, and now that's all I can see. <laughs> which is a mo- which is a movie that came out in 1988. So, uh, so who knew? Uh, it reminded me the most of this is the the owl bear uh, from Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> uh, yes, it is. Uh, and the story behind that is that the, these were toys uh, that were mass produced by uh, I think a Japanese company. And they were just these like miniature little things and they were about the same scale that, you know, other, uh, you know, D&D things were. And so when Gary Gygax was needing monsters to put onto the table, he just took these toys and put them down. And then they wrote, um, you know, all the stats and story and lore all around them. Um, And that that's that kind of imagination that this this thing evoked in me when I first saw it It was like, oh, that looks like a rust monster or an owlbear or something (laughs) that like, you know, was is at the heart of the imagination back in 1988. I figured that the 
suitcase was a dead giveaway on how to trace it back to patient zero on Earth, though, because that first person is the one who ordered that suitcase that has the cutout of the little monster. <laughs> in it. Uh, and you just go find the store that made that suitcase. You got him. And you get that receipt. And that's the person. We've got to do these foam cutouts that look like some kind <laughs> of bug. Right. I don't know. That's right. Well, it, uh, uh, along those lines of inconsequential, when they said 20 minutes for a dinner, I was like, wow, that's really fast. 20 <laughs> minutes, you're going to get an admiral's meal together? And then when we, we see what they were eating, like, I wish you would have been I was like, I see why it was only 20 minutes now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much. Get a little Rodney Agefield moment in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. <laughs> Quinn comes on board and he is full of vim and vigor and not at all the man that we saw before. And as Picard is trying to talk to him and, and sort of press him on the things that they talked about the last time, uh, he very quickly backpedals and says some weird shit about assimilating alien races and and blah, 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 blah. And Picard knows something is wrong and immediately makes the audible that uh, that Riker is going to stay on board while Picard goes Again, alone, but down to the planet. I love that Riker's like, how am I supposed to uh, convince him to get a medical scan? And Picard's like, I don't know. Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> you figure it out. Figure You're it the out. first officer. Yeah. I got to think of everything. Uh, now, what's interesting is uh, the moment Picard gets down to the planet... Remick is like super nice and everyone else seems suspect as fuck, right? Like everyone else is like... Hello, welcome. Drink this, why don't you? (laughs) Just so, so suspicious. uh, The lovely aperitif. (laughs) Yeah, and then they say to drink to the Horatio, which I thought was like the biggest F you that we could possibly do. It's like, come on, man, you know that you just killed his... Buddy. Well, especially, how, did they know yet? Had that e- had that information? As somebody who watches a lot of Murder, She Wrote, I was like, well, they just gave themselves away because how did right. they know that the Horatio is gone? Right. right. I thought that's where they were going to go with it too, but they didn't. So it was like, oh yeah, no, of course I we mean, all know. The warp, the warp signature, uh, <laughs> they figured, uh, no, I don't know where <laughs> We already with agreed that, that that's from uh, the Expanse here. <laughs> that's the drive signature. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> Uh, back on the ship, Riker comes and he wants to know what's in the box. What's in the box? The box is for My Beverly. The box, <laughs> uh, the box is right. for Beverly, but while as long as Riker is there, he might as well see what's inside. Right. This is where the show went off the rails for me. I, really, oh, this is, is it? This really is where I was like, come on. <laughs> I mean, when he throws... Uh, is it Jordy through the door? Oh, we're, oh, yeah. to, the, we're, we're to the fight? We're to the fight. That's yeah. That. yeah. Oh. Well, I mean, when we're... we're... Oh. Is, aren't we? Yeah, 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 yeah. I I jump? Mean, yeah. yeah. So keep we, going, yeah. keep going. I'm sorry. When he throws it through the doors, like, first of all, really bad integrity of the ship. These aren't blast doors? Like, what if something goes wrong in the ship? There's an explosion. My Obviously, my cabin is not safe because a person can be thrown through the doors to... The stagecraft is terrible because you can tell that it's two pieces of balsa wood. Yeah, no, <laughs> like you, you can, can see the... balsa wood holds a vacuum in the, in the deep <laughs> recesses of space. <laughs> but it's obviously... one of the lesser known properties <laughs> of theatrical balsa. Wood. <laughs> the theatrical balsa wood, especially. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, security has really gone downhill since Tasha died because 
Riker calls for security. Jordy shows up with Worf. Worf, I can understand. Jordy, we don't need you when things get dangerous. And then the next person to show up is Dr. Crusher. Like, there's well, nobody in a gold ever. uniform. Yeah. yeah. Nobody in a gold uniform forever. ever shows up. They're like, you know what? Tasha's not here. I'm not doing anything. I agree with everything you're saying. And still, this is Love now <laughs> one of my all-time favorite goddamn fights in the history of cinema. Oh, my goodness. I cannot deal with how much I love the ridiculousness of this fight. <laughs> this well, kicks? And, and oh, the old man kicks. They yes. were amazing. And then they had Riker do it, too. Like, they went to that well, like, six times. That was yeah. right out of Naked Gun. Not only that, but Riker vaults over Like, he gets thrown over the desk, oh. and then he vaults over it, uh, just like he's on a pommel horse yeah. uh, to get in some of those kicks. And that's where he does it's his crane incredible. technique. Uh, I, it's incredible. I love that. I love that the admiral says, "Now cling on. It's between you and me." And I right. can just imagine him pulling up his sock garters. You know. <laughs> <he's ready. laughs> and another. That's a nice wharf moment, though, where he doesn't say anything. He just slowly gets up. He's like, "All right, it's on." Mm-hmm. I think they no, Worf handles it really well. Yeah, Worf should have had a better fight scene than they gave him. Like they chumped him one throw against the wall, and he's out. Stop it. Right. Hey, and Stop a chop to his back. <laughs> we did get That's one of the nice, gentle, like, uh, well communicated chop. I've never been in an actual fight, so you know this is taken with a grain of salt. But anywhere I've seen, like you know, things like that, I've never seen anyone clasp with their hands together and try to do a double punch. Like it would that. hurt your hands more than it would hurt them. Yeah, so it's clearly a stage combat thing every single time you see it. And it would make a big fart noise right when you did it, and that would just... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe be more intimidating, though, actually. Seriously. It's right up there with the the ear grab or the nose hold, and, you know, it's the the hair pull. It's all very theatrical, and, and... you know, we're all just agreeing that this fight is ridiculous, so let's get to it. I'm pretty sure Hulk Hogan choreographed this. <laughs> well, I love that. Uh, I love that it's it's solved with a good old phaser, right? Good old Beverly yeah. with her phaser multiple times, uh, shooting him, uh, hitting well, him. Well, the doctor showed up, heard nobody say a word, and set her phaser to kill. <laughs> I Great. think she, I think she was still on stun. That's why she knew that it took too long. It took three times. Yeah. Yeah, three times. Right, because he didn't die. Right, he didn't right. die. Uh, I like that it was Crusher, honestly, that because it's that nice reveal of like who's the big, you know, who's the badass who's going to take this guy down, and it's Crusher just being like, bzz, 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 yeah, but done. it doesn't make sense. Why is Crusher there and not well, security? They do, they do call for her. They call for her in that uh, in that scene when. Oh, uh, so she didn't right? No, they okay. So yeah, she was they, on they her way. Yeah. It just took her so long that three people got their ass kicked by the yes. time she got there. Yes. <laughs> she had a trick. And she Wesley's took her phaser for the first time ever. I better take my phaser for this medical. Well, checkup. speaking of phasers, maybe she got Jordy's phaser. Speaking of phasers, we go down to back down to the planet. Picard calls home, finds out that things aren't going great. Uh, you know that that this attack has happened, and Beverly has discovered a stinger coming out of his neck. She says, "You better put your uh, phaser on." Kill. He says. So cute that you thought I brought a phaser to an admiral dinner, because uh, he didn't. Uh, so we are left to find out um, 
Uh, she knows that she can't ret- remove it without killing the patient. I love that. I love that uh, visual image of sort of the scan of his head with the almost root, like the roots of the of the creature spanning out and taking over the brain. Ooh. It reminds very much of that scan in Alien where you see it going down the throat. Uh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. That's where the special effects were good up until this point. Yeah. And let's not forget there <laughs> Picard's at Starfleet Academy in San Francisco on Earth. Like right. all his all his scenes take place like in the Pentagon. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Where but nobody knows what's going on. And nobody's there, right? It's a slow it, night. It's just a slow nobody night. Has phasers. It's a slow night at the Pentagon. Well, and as as uh, as Picard is getting ready to go off for his dinner, uh, back on the ship, we see Riker suddenly wake up and touch the yeah. shoulder. What did you guys think about away, that moment? Which is so nice. I love that moment. It's I mean, a cheap setup. I oh, think. I love it. I love it for that exact reason. Because the way he touches her, that's like that's almost a Me Too moment. Like you come up behind somebody, it's like. Hand on the shoulder there. Like, why are you touching her that way? Unless you're a bad guy. That's not, hey, I got some news for you. Or thank you for saving me. That was a weird touch. It was a, he's a bad guy touch. But we're doing it for plot reasons. See, I saw it more as just like a pet. Like, hi. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we're on the same page. Something something super reasonable like that. <laughs> you know, like you can't put your hand on the small uh, on the small of a woman's back. Like that's yes, inappropriate. Thank you, don't do that. And touch it like that. I was like, that's weird. Why are you touching it or like that? <laughs> Unless you're a bad guy. Or they're all bad guys. Because it's a Well, they were playing them for bad guy there for sure, right? Like that's I I, I, yeah. I liked the cutaway without the explanation because it just, you know, kept you in suspense for a few moments. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't mind a narrator you can't trust, but I don't want it to be the director. Oh no! Put that on a theater homo card. Boom. <laughs> uh, Picard sits. Picard sits down to eat, and it's maggots, Michael. It's maggots. Oh, no. uh, what are we gonna do about this? Everyone else is eating them voraciously, but Picard pushes them away. Was that a Lost Boys reference, Kate? It was, indeed. Thank you that, for getting I it. I love you. You're, you're yes. welcome. I was hoping... I, I. It was mostly for me, but I was hoping it was for you, too. I, I, di- I didn't remember what came next, or I'd have said it. <laughs> so disappointed I didn't pick up on those. Um, those I, crackers that they were eating were very crunchy. Yes. <laughs> they certainly ramped up the, the sound design on that to be like... And you got a shot of every single one person just like gnawing down on that disgustingness. Gross. Yeah, we find out that uh, that one of the captains that we met at the beginning, uh, Captain uh, Scott. Oh, help me, Scott. Yes, uh, is is one of one of us uh, or one one of the creatures. They got the best and the brightest. And they did. They did. Uh, and so Picard is like, "Fuck this shit! I'm out of here!" But Riker shows Boom. up and pushes Picard back into the room. And that wide-eyed Jonathan Frakes look, he is hamming it up that he's oh like, I'm going to play this bad guy to the hilt. And he's a very good improv actor, Jonathan, uh, or I guess William Riker would be in this. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And we well, know, they, you know, it helps that all of them speak in Snidely Whiplash uh, phrasing. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's really de- delightful. Yeah. You'll be like, one of us soon, Picard. I like that in their explanation of why this happened, it's because both of our races share a love of theater. Of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <And, and> drama. <laughs> so we just ran into the most like drama-filled uh, creatures uh, in hyperspace. Um, who just... I really want to see their uh, play of yes, them, a yes. bunch of those miniature <laughs> right. Tim Burton uh, <laughs> Sculptures just doing King Lear together on a right. <laughs> little tiny stage. You've never heard Shakespeare until you've heard it in the need of whatever they are. <laughs> Bug creature. And just as Riker is about to take a bite of those maggots, just kidding, he's got a phaser. Psych! And when he kills them, uh, the creatures come out of the mouth. Oh. <laughs> Sit on kill. And then we follow one of the creatures, and it goes to what? Remick? Well, first of all, the guy runs away, and when they call his name, he stops. I don't. Running away, and they go, I better see what they want. (laughs) Oh, no, they are going to try to kill me. (laughs) Shoot, shoot, shoot. Absolutely ridiculous. Just shoot the guy. What was the point of writing, saying his name, and turn around? Just shoot him. We see him. (laughs) He dies. Like There's zero added to having his name called out. And him turning around. Like, it was just, this is like one on one filmmaking, right? The fall from this shoot, though, when, when he finally does get frozen by the uh, phaser <laughs> and then hits the ground, but perfect. perfect. Absolutely perfect. So let's fall. just keep good, the perfect stuff, right? Good let's job. keep the perfect yeah. stuff and well, cut out the. the did you think things. the. Because uh, I think this is the first in Next Generation that we see a Vulcan nerve pinch. Uh, the admiral goes up and grabs the shoulder and right. tries to, uh, you know, uh, render Picard unconscious. Uh, it's too far from the neck. Well, yeah. uh, be- to make it canon, uh, what has been discussed in terms of uh, uh, how do we make it so that that's okay? It's because the creature that was inhabiting him didn't know the exact way to do the pinch, and that's why it didn't work. I believe I like that. It. This Makes is what people spend sense. their time doing. Thinking about that. The wrong thinking nerve. thinking about ways to make things canon. Uh, in fact, <laughs> Jimmy and I have gave him a an wicked entire, sciatic yeah. pain. Uh, so up up goes the creature into Remick's mouth, and this is the point where I am completely starting to become a child again and remember <laughs> that moment uh, again very clearly, very like it just it all came back to me. Um, that that reveal is so classic. Am I remembering right that they didn't broadcast this again for a while, or was it just that they put the warning? They on just it? Uh, the warning was in Canada, and then banned in the B, uh, by the BBC until later. And then even then, they showed an edited version of it. Oh my but god! Here, but here, but here, there was like there was nothing like that. Yeah, okay. It was ridiculous America. the way that creature moved up his leg was seriously i'm not kidding edna tito does better stop motion <laughs> than that I, I mean i've seen her take an american girl doll and make it a smooth walk across the tito's driveway and this was like just cut it out it's embarrassing it is embarrassing it is. i agree uh, it like it, it almost is like the camera shakes a little bit like yeah you can see the pant leg that the thing's crawling up is in a different yeah. position at one point, and, and then just, everything is frozen around them. Like you can tell, oh, 
time stopped while this moved. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and yeah. just a, in a bigger thing, um, I didn't remember. I, I knew this was coming up. I remember the scene. No, I didn't remember it. I saw a scene. I was like, oh, yeah, this is what happens to Remick later. I thought he was going to have a much bigger role than he did. He was inconsequential. Even right. though he was the mother right. um, bug, he was very inconsequential. And then suddenly here he is at the end, and even that was inconsequential. Like the the whole fight for their species and why we're doing it was was like they had five minutes to think of it. It was like, you know, yes. just say say you want to be live in peace. <laughs> <laughs> There's a there's an old Simpsons quote that my husband and I use all the time, which is uh, an episode where all of the kids um, end up on an island because their their school bus goes over the bridge and goes to an island and it gets to the end. And they say and there's a narrator and he says, and then the children were saved by, oh, let's say Mo. And that's how it ends. <laughs> like, you don't see it. They just <laughs> like, <laughs> and this totally felt like the ending. We use that all the time in the Jaeger household for when we don't have a really good answer for something. Oh. We just say, let's just say Mo. Uh, <laughs> and this was that great. moment for sure. Um, I love Absolutely. though the visual of that bulging neck, y'all. Let's talk about that. That is uh, horrific. Yeah. Horrific. Yeah. That, that effect was achieved by having makeup supervisor Michael Westmore blow air into a bladder that was beneath a fake neck. And apparently the director kept making him do it over and over again and wanted more and more so much that he started to, he continually was hyperventilating from the exertion of trying to get this to, to bulge out oh as many goodness. times and as quickly as the director wanted. So he was behind that chair, blowing yeah, it up? Yeah, behind that chair, blowing, with, blowing air amazing. into. Yeah. Well, that's he, awesome. He got an Emmy for it, so that's It worthwhile. looked really good. It was like the only special effect that looked great, but the writing on top of it, where he's saying, we want to coexist in peace, is like, why use that line here? Why not, in your last moments, have a threat or be like uh, Aaron the Moor and Titus Andronicus, where you're like, your very last words about how the only thing you're sad about is that you can't do 10,000 more horrible things. Like, cause nothing about what you're doing right. suggests that you really want to live peacefully. So why waste lines and then great imagery that don't go together? Like they weren't even juxtaposing them for a reason. It seems like, like it, it seems like they just didn't understand that the words didn't tie into the images they were presenting. It, it was, it was disappointing with the lines. Yeah. What's not disappointing to me is when they blow up his motherfucking head. <laughs> that he got is so <laughs> classic and so unexpected and so just like shocking. Uh, they uh, achieved that effect by taking a mold of Paul Newman's face and filling it with raw meat and then blowing it up on set. So that was sure. Paul, Paul Newman's face. Uh, exploding with nothing but raw meat inside. Why Paul Newman? Uh, because he looks like Remick enough. I don't know. Uh, it's, they had his face it's, lying around. It's what they had, right? Well, like I William mean, Shatner for, for. I was about to uh, say, right? <laughs> I would Michael. put that on a resume if I was that actor. Uh, <laughs> I look so much like Paul Newman. They used a mold of his head to blow up my head on an episode of Star Trek. And the creature, special skill, uh, <laughs> the creature that pops out was a, a an addendum 
that was done in post. Um, they were supposed to immediately actually face a, a life-size mother creature. Um, but instead they came up with the, uh, they ran out of money. And so they came up with the idea of that puppet coming out of the chest cavity and, uh, which I think again is why it's so, um, sort of, uh, disappointing, right? It's, it's like, oh, here comes this creature and he's dead. Right. Yeah. You get the horribleness of it. It is reminiscent of, uh, of alien of the, you know, the thing that's inside, that is popping out, even though they had to blow up his chest in order to get to it. But the thing that strikes me on rewatching this is, and I don't know if you guys noticed this, but after they blow it up, there's the shot of the aftermath, right? Of like, you know, the exploded head and the thing. And there's all these little bodies of small little bug creatures all yeah. around, like peppered on, like, like someone had just poured like, yeah. you know, the cereal of, <laughs> yeah. uh, of they're little like, bug creatures and it's just spaghetti everywhere. splashes or something like they're, they're <laughs> now they're red and orange. Uh, and we find out that, um, we probably could have saved all of those admirals lives if we had just stunned them a little bit more because, uh, <laughs> once the mother is dead, um, Admiral Quinn is just fine. Thank you very much. Um, so Maybe some needless death there, but at least Admiral Quinn's going to be okay. That's but what we... you get for getting took. <laughs> I'm saying Ursuline Bryant played the same captain again just a few years ago in an audio drama. So something happened. Yeah, she so... survived one way or another uh-huh. in somebody's version of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and maybe that is what happened. Maybe they didn't die. Maybe they just, um, it killed the bug out of them. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but then we find out that Remick sent off a homing beacon. Um, so will there be a sequel to this? No, no, there won't. That's that's no. But that was a great closing scene when they go to space yes. and you just hear the ping in space. That was actually really nice. No, I do think that that is a a, a really nice moment. Um, yeah, I disagree. You, tell, tell us why, Eric. Why is it is it because Jimmy cause... said it? Yeah. <laughs> sound. That sound. Thank you. I dis- I disagree with that as well. Uh I mean to me that that you know the the shot of space with the nebula and the kind of you know moving star field it did make it feel like a like a horror suspense genre that they were trying to go for this whole time. And I don't think they are successful, but they certainly, you know, you could tell that they were like, hey, I really like Alien. Let's try to do something that's kind of like Alien, but in Starfleet. And, you know, I don't think they they succeeded except for this final shot. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, so that takes us to that brings us to the end of this, the penultimate episode of season one. So let's get some last thoughts on this penultimate episode. Greg, talk to me. Um, like you, Kate, I absolutely remember watching this, uh, you know, as a little boy and the strangeness of the creature having the thing sticking out of the back of their neck as an image that's still in my head. The 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 eating of worms uh, and that last scene of blowing up Remick is, you know, some of the things I think about when I think about Star Trek uh, Next Generation uh, uh, to this day. Um, but you know, watching this now, I don't think it has a really strong continuity through line through it. I think they tried to create this suspense and, you know, create like a, like a thriller in space and, uh, they didn't go full bore. And I think, I I think it would have been a lot more interesting if they had 
made it more about uh, politics rather than this, uh, you know, body snatcher type of thing that's happening here. And it feels like a pulled punch. Um, but I do like that we get to see Starfleet command. Like, I think that's an interesting you know, stake to put in the ground here in the first season where, you know, in so much of the other uh, properties, you don't really kind of think of the entirety of the military organization uh, as much, or at least I didn't uh, as a child, but I, this was one of the first times where I was like, oh yeah, they have, they have bosses and they have people who give them orders and there's a bureaucracy behind Starfleet. And uh, I think we talked about this before. This is before Star Trek four comes out, right? Or is four, four. Yeah. So I didn't even really have a clear view of like, you know that this was that San Francisco was was where Starfleet was based, and 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 that Earth was was really far. And I don't, I, I wish they kind of concentrated on that a little bit more uh, in hindsight, like because you don't get to see the Star Dock, you know, you don't really get to see the 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 return to Earth uh, that uh, this type of you know after being in space for so long would warrant. Um, it's kind of just shoved off, like oh here's a shot with the moon in it, uh, and that's it. Um, so I didn't think they played that really uh, well, but I did like that, you know, it made my little brain start thinking about how does government work and you know, what would happen if the people who are in charge are, you know, aliens, what do you do? Uh, so for that, it, it, I don't know, it, it got my storytelling brain going, but as far as execution goes, I still don't think this episode is, is, uh, is, is that great. So I would give it, you know, in, in, in the mid range, I would give it four Ditalics bees. <laughs> Eric, uh-huh. Eric, what about you? I give it five. <laughs> <laughs> I give it five of those. I, I think it's I absolutely burned into my brain the same way it is uh, with the two of you. Um, I think uh, we've talked a little bit about Paul Winfield, who was uh, Captain Terrell in uh, Wrath of Khan. So we have a, a black captain in that uh, uh, in that particular movie. I'm just going right. back and picking things up that we've yeah, been talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 that's right. The great Paul Winfield. Yep. Um, and actually I think a lot about Wrath of Khan when I see this because I think by this point I had been familiar with the ear monster uh, due to the influence of my brothers. And this has always been similar in my head. You know, I, I I do think of the throat bulge. I do think of the entry into the mouth and it, it it's there forever. I, I confuse the grabbing, uh, Riker grabbing those with Riker grabbing, what is it, Tremplock? What is it the, that they call it in uh, uh, Groflock or whatever it is that he does when he's stationed with the Klingons? He does a very similar shot where he grabs them before he then does eat them. And I'm excited for that reference when it comes back. Uh, but all in all, I, I absolutely love this episode. It was neat to hear Greg talk about kind of the political aspect of it, because I, I do. I'm drawn into science fiction when it uh, touches human politics. So I love shit like Capricorn One <laughs> and mm-hmm. and that, uh, you know, uh, the Star Chamber and, and when it gets into uh, science fiction or um conspiracy kind of spaces so this this is right up my alley and i really enjoyed watching it it, it reminds me that v remember uh mm-hmm. the, the series v was about a political thriller and that they turned it into science fiction so they could get away with uh showing people what they really wanted to uh make the message about uh, i think about that when i watch this mm-hmm. what about you jimmy uh i'm gonna give it three 
ugly bug infestations. Uh, and only three because those were the three good moments that Data gave us. <laughs> Other than that, uh, there wasn't much for me in this episode. Um, to play off what some of the other guys have said, uh, TNG hadn't yet shown us San Francisco, but the Star Trek uh, original movies had shown us plenty of times what Star Trek or what Starfleet Academy was like and how bustling and in full it uh, it was. And for Eric, if you love that political intrigue, if you haven't, you got to watch Expanse because it's all political intrigue and and what happens with that stuff. It's one of the best I, sci-fi shows. I can't deal with warp signatures. I need a completely <laughs> different kind of uh, physics. Uh, it is a completely really different great. kind of physics, actually. Yeah, it is. It's actually a whole different way of looking at how space travel happens. Are there warp signatures? There drive are warp signatures. signatures. There are drive signatures. Drive signatures. Can't do, can't do it. You can do it. You'll love it. Uh, but anyways, so it wasn't the, wasn't uh, it, one of my top six favorite shows at this season. It, 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 skimmer pass, pass. All right. I'm going to give this a code 47. Uh, <laughs> because there are red flags everywhere, and yet it stuck with me all of these years. Uh, so the nostalgia meter on this one is huge for me. Uh, and then the rest of it uh, falls flat. So uh, I take the what I for years have held on to from this episode and hold on to it tightly. Uh, but the rest is just a big warning sign that there might be a conspiracy happening. And that conspiracy is a story that's held together with duct tape and sadness. So, uh, uh, but we get uh, some really nice moments uh, as, as we have found. Uh, and yes, all of those data moments giving us great joy. Um, and now we are left with one episode left here in season one. The neutral zone is our next episode, which I'm very excited to tackle with the rest of you. Uh, and in the meantime, oh shit, my pants are wet. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being with us on the bridge for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Reengage on Instagram and Twitter at ReengageTNG to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek shenanigans. Follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Insta. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down on Twitter and Insta. Jimmy D is, of course, at the Jimmy G on Insta. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito at Instagram. Reengage is edited and mixed by Krista Curry. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo underscore 97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for the saucer section to re-engage. <laughs>